You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, continuing our series on Epic, going through Hebrews 11 and those that made a difference for the cause of Christ, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, I want to thank everyone that was able to come out on Friday evening for Secret Church. Hopefully uh, that was a blessing to you. It was a blessing to me to see um, so many adults and even some children that stuck it out. I think uh, Jonah stayed awake the entire time. Now, he has the energy, obviously, too, so I guess I shouldn't be surprised by that, but he was content as could be, and so an encouragement it was just to see uh, those come and uh, make that sacrifice and to stay up late that evening, um, just learning about those in history who have um, sacrificed so much for the cause of Christ, uh, just a great time there. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to look at someone we don't know a lot about. Um, it's interesting as, as we begin to plan a series out and as we went through the, the closer series with uh, John, the book of John. And we laughed about, I think I teased last time, how John, uh, Brother Yoder uh, took two whole chapters and squeezed it into one sermon, I think a hundred verses somehow. And, uh, and so here in Hebrews chapter 11, I have one verse. That does not determine the length of the sermon, though, as Pastor would always say. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 5, we see a man talked about here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 5 says this, by faith... Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. For a few moments this morning, in the time that we have, we're going to talk about a man named Enoch. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, and we thank you for your many blessings to us, Lord, for the words that you've given to us that we can, Lord, read in our own heart language understand and apply, and for your Holy Spirit, Lord, which takes the Word of God and uses it to change our hearts. And God, I pray this morning, Lord, as we look at this man Enoch and the little of information that we have about him, Lord, that you would, Lord, stir each of our hearts and how we can practically apply it. God, I pray that you be with Pastor, Lord, as he is teaching a wellness weekend, that you would be of them safety, give him clearness of thought, and give them the ability to, uh, Lord, use your words as you would have him to, and that you would use, uh, Lord, this sermon this morning, this service this morning, to honor and glorify you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. While only a handful of verses we have mention Enoch at all, he stands out as arguably one of the most righteous people the Scripture talks about apart from Christ. For those who don't know Enoch, perhaps from a bar of soap, uh, Enoch was born 662 years after Adam. And we're going to read one small excerpt here, two small excerpts. Turn over to Genesis chapter 5, and we find a little bit of information about this man by the name of Enoch. In Genesis chapter 5, look at verse number 18. We see him in a couple different spots in genealogies, but here we get just a little bit more information about Enoch. Genesis chapter 5 and verse number 18. 
The Word of God says this, talking about Enoch here. In verse 18 it says, And Jared lived 160 and two years, and he begat Enoch. So we see his birth here. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 960 and two years, and he died. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah, a well-known character in Scripture, Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So as we look into the life of Enoch this morning, what we can see here, I want to ask a few questions. Number one was this, what was life like for Enoch? What were his surroundings? What did he see? What did he hear? What made Enoch so special? We don't have much written about him, yet he has some things in his life that clearly set him apart from so many people in Scripture. And then lastly, what does all of this mean to us? How can we learn from the life of Enoch? The Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable, right? And so as we read about this man, Enoch, what can we take from it and apply to our own lives to change us? And so as we look at Enoch, I want to start off by looking at Enoch's background and what life was like when he was alive. So if you're there in your notes and you got in your bulletin there, I encourage you to follow along with this. Number one, we see surrounding gloom. Surrounding gloom. As we look at the book of Genesis, we see surrounding gloom and what Enoch saw in his life. Enoch lived scientifically, if I could say it this way, in the age of progress. It's amazing to me in the book of Genesis, the first few chapters show us that man was no dummy when God made him. Man was quite intelligent. As a matter of fact, God made Adam and Eve with outstanding minds, and I believe this trait was passed down to their children, and we see this all throughout the beginning of Genesis. We read some remarkable achievements that take place in the book of Genesis, particularly uh, here in Genesis chapter 4, People were very intelligent. Imagine for a moment building a city where there are no plans on what a house should look like. No one's built a house up to this point. No one knows what a city should look like. Developing this city, building houses. How would you get the materials? You know, you don't have a chainsaw to cut down the logs at that point. What do you do to hold the walls up? There was no one to offer a nail gun at this point. Who would be there to stop you from building unsafe structures? I don't think they had a building code at this point. And yet we see in chapter 4 of Genesis, Cain built a city. The intelligence that had to be there for all of these things to take place was astounding. Imagine for a moment taking a stick that you found off in the woods and turning it into a musical instrument that didn't sound like a third grader playing a recorder. How would you get the materials to do that? How would you know how to do it? How do you go about making good music when there's no one there to teach you at all? How do you go about making a harp? You ever seen a harp and wonder, who came up with that idea at all? Someone had to. And so we see the brilliance involved scientifically and intelligence-wise here. Not just that, but we see you learn about more people. A man by the name of Jubal was the father of all who play the flute and harp. And yet there's a man by the name of Jabal that's mentioned who is the father of all who live in tents and raise livestock. And so an expert farmer and the intelligence involved in that. Tubal-Cain was a craftsman and an engineer. He wasn't just limited to wood, but he recognized minerals around him and used them, both iron and bronze, to make tools. 
Later chapters of Genesis, we see, of course, Noah building this huge boat, not having anything except for directions from God there. Nimrod having exceptional hunting abilities. You could ask Brother John, hunting takes a lot of intelligence and patience, and sometimes you don't get the thunder chickens, right? The intelligence we see in the book of Genesis is amazing. People tried building skyscrapers. Laws and protocols were made as kingdoms were established. And I think sometimes we get the wrong idea that a long time ago, Everyone lived in caves, and they weren't very intelligent at all. And yet we see as we read the book of Genesis that Enoch was surrounded by people that were quite intelligent. And so there was a lot of progress scientifically. Enoch lived scientifically in an age of progress, but socially in an age of permissiveness. What do I mean by that? We see there are extremely intelligent beings here, extremely intelligent humans, and yet Genesis 4 talks about the spread of a godless, society. Despite the scientific advancements, despite the increase in use of technology here, people were controlled by their own desires. Now we're in Genesis chapter 4. We're not too far off from when God created everything and said that it was what? That it was good. And yet here we already see the world falling into this godless society and falling apart from a relationship with God. The godlessness was characterized in the line of man we talked about last week by the name of Cain. And the fall of Cain. And it's important to see that there's only two family lines mentioned in Genesis. The line of Cain, noted for their godlessness. And then the line of Seth, noted for their godliness. And we see in Genesis chapter 4, an age of permissiveness. Whatever you want to do goes. If it makes you feel good, you do it. And very quickly, they begin to get into worshiping false gods and idols and practicing whatever type of heathenism they wanted to. And Enoch was surrounded by this on a daily basis of people just doing what they wanted. Enoch was spiritually, though, in an age of arrogance. All the people around him were arrogant to God, thought that they were better than God. They knew better than God. They knew better than whatever he could come up with. It's incredible to think that at this time, Adam and Eve are still alive. Adam and Eve are still there to witness these things taking place and would have been instructing and and teaching everyone about the beginning of time and how creation took place and how God provided for them in the garden and, and how God provided the sacrifice and the paradise and how they walked with God on a daily basis and, and the fall and the consequences of sin and how God's laws had been given to them and explaining even God's merciful provision for their salvation. Adam and Eve still would have been around at this time to share those things and how God had been working so amazingly in their lives and the lives of others. They would have carefully treasured what God had revealed and repeated it to succeeding generations. And yet, the line of Seth was the only family mentioned specifically that gave heed to his words. Of the people who were arrogant towards God, they could rightly be described in Jude 11 that says this, is that they were called in the way of Cain. Just as Cain was concerned with himself and himself only, so were so many in this generation at this time. And so the people could have been living in blatant arrogance towards God. And for all we know, the tree of life in the Garden of Eden could have possibly been guarded by God's angels, could have served as this witness even up till the flood. But these people were arrogant towards God. Turn your Bible to Romans chapter 1, verse 21. So well describes these people here. 
Romans chapter 1, verse 21 says this, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. How well it described them. They knew God because Adam and Eve were still around, and others around them still telling them about what God had done and what God was doing. They knew God, and yet, what did they do? They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their own imaginations. So much so that verse 28 says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Sin spread abroad on the earth like a a, a leprosy at that time. In spite of the fact that God was still in control, in spite of the fact that people were being told about God, we see this godless society that's arrogant towards him, And with all the surrounding gloom, this is what Enoch walked through on a daily basis from the years and hundreds of years that he lived. And so we see around him these intelligent people that have no concern for God whatsoever. Now, sounds somewhat familiar, right? As we look at our society today, as the Bible says, professing themselves to be wise, they became as fools. For all the universities and master's degrees and doctorates and PhDs, the world still seems to think that they're better than God or that there is no God or that they are God themselves. For all the technology that we have, we can shoot satellites up in space and communicate with someone on the other side of the world in the blink of an eye, and yet for all of it, the world is filled and concerned with their own desires. Much of what we deal with today, Enoch dealt with during his day. And so this is what he was surrounded by. But in the midst of all this, Enoch, we see, number two, simple goodness. As I mentioned, there's not a lot in Scripture that talks about, you know, and Enoch did this, and Enoch did that, and these were the things that Enoch did on a daily basis. But we see Enoch's life characterized by simple goodness. We see first Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, his testimony toward God. It says there in Hebrews eleven five, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see, because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. You ever been to a, a funeral before, and someone typically gives a, a eulogy, you know, and talks about, you know, these are the things perhaps they accomplished, and, you know, maybe they tell some stories about their life. Here we have a a eulogy being given for Enoch. And he could have been given a lot of information. You know, he he, he invented this, and he developed that, and he accomplished these great things. And yet we see the eulogy that God gives for him is this. He pleased God. No long, you know, extended speech about how amazing he was. But what a powerful testimony that Enoch had that he pleased God. I don't know about you, but one day when I pass to have a eulogy, that would be great to be read. Hey, Dave, he pleased God. And that here we see is his testimony toward God. Now, Enoch too was born with the same goodness of Cain, right? He was born with a sin nature because the world had already fallen at this point. And he too was a child of wrath, but Enoch became a child of grace. It's mentioned that after the birth of his son Methuselah, it says that he walked with God. Somewhere along the way, Enoch made his peace with God and all of a sudden realized the importance of relationship with him, and he 
must have come to a point in his life where he recognized his sinfulness and showed his remorse for it before God. Don't know what the deciding factor was, but we do know that he became a righteous man. He became a man that had a love for God, that had a relationship with God. One can only imagine the level of intimacy that Enoch had with God. I think back to in Genesis chapter one, where the Bible says, or in Genesis, where the Bible says that Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. And it feels almost impossible for me to fully grasp that. I, during times of my day, I, I, I take time and I pray, or, or I take time and, and, and I read the scriptures. But what it must have been like to walk side by side with God an amazing harmony with God. The word walk here gives the expression of, of fellowship. It wasn't just a walk of silence, but a walk of fellowship that took place here. The communion they had with each other. It's like two friends going for a long walk and on the best of terms. You have that friend that you have. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's someone that's close to you where you could just walk and you could be silent even and yet there's just that harmony when you walk with them. The Bible says that this is what Enoch had. Enoch had this amazing harmony with God. Was he perfect? No, right? He had a sinful nature just like all of us did, and yet he walked with God. Walking with God here infers that his heart was in harmony with God's. Some of you are familiar with music a little bit and the importance of harmony in a song, right? You've got the melody and you've got the harmony and if you're not careful, if those, those don't match up, it can sound a little rough. Like if you have me singing harmony, you're going to be in trouble a little bit. This harmony that they had, with this walk that they had with each other, it was as if they were along the same wavelength, the same frequency, two notes that somewhat matched perfectly. They just had this amazing connection. And what amazes me about that is, is once again, what surrounded Enoch at that time? There weren't 50 people behind him saying, hey, you need to have a relationship with God. Hey, hey, you know, God's doing great things. You, you know, you got you to get on this thing. He, he cares for you. He loves you. The world around him was saying, hey, take care of yourself. Hey, we got these tool gods over here that we're worshiping nowadays. Hey, we've got this new God that we just got put on the market, and we're, we're going to worship him, and we're going to build a statue. Hey, go ahead and take care of this. I mean, idolatry, sodomy, whatever it was, everything, whatever makes you happy, Get it for yourself. In the midst of all of that going on, Enoch here is just in harmony with God. As well as being on good terms, they had the same frame of mind. Amos 3.3 says this, Can two walk together except they be agreed? When I say that Enoch walked with God, we think to ourselves, oh, you know, that, that makes sense. You know, Enoch was a good guy and he loved God, so he walked with God. But there were so many opportunities in his life to have a different walk. And I wanted to illustrate this this morning. So, Timothy, do you want to come up here for a second? Uh, he didn't know until this morning that he was going to do this, so hopefully he's not too nervous. Um, but we have, all of us have a walk with God, right? We sometimes use that phrase, you know, your walk with God, my walk with God. All of us have, have a testimony that we try to keep in, in a walk with God. In other words, God walks a certain path, a certain direction, has a will for our life. 
And it's our job how we choose to follow that. We were talking about uh, God's will uh, with the teens a few weeks ago, and there's two different types of God's will. There's his sovereign will. In other words, certain things that God wants to happen, that no matter what you do, no matter how bad you mess up, God's still going to accomplish certain things. Then there's God's commanded will, plans that he has for you, but it's your choice whether you choose to follow it or not. And so when it comes to walking with God, God has a pace that he does not stray from. God has a direction that he does not stray from because the book of the Bible says that he is God and he changes not, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we have a walk with God, each of us to keep. And he says, Enoch here walked with God. And we say, well, you know, well, that means he walked with God. But you realize that there were opportunities for him to not so much walk with God, And I wrote down just three, if I could put it this way, wrong walks with God that I think if all of us aren't careful, sometimes we get into. And so I'm going to portray God for a second, and then he's going to portray the Christian. So the first God we talk about here, and we'll come over on this side here, Timothy. Actually, we'll stay right in the middle here. I changed it already. Is what I call the anti-God walk. And so God has certain plans for Timothy. I have certain plans for you, so you want to stand right here? And I'm going to say, Timothy, these are my plans for you. I'm going to go that way, and I want you to walk with me, all right? All right, let's go. The anti-God walk. God's not changing his direction. Sometimes, let's be honest, God gives us something to do, and we say, "Mm, I heard you, but I don't really want to do that. I know what you, it's not an idea of, ah, maybe I misinterpreted what God said it's God clearly pointed something out to you, and you're just like, yeah, I know you want me to do that, God, but I'm not comfortable doing it. It's not easy. My schedule's pretty busy. And some of us, if we're not careful, practice the anti-God walk. Enoch in his life had plenty of chances to practice the anti-God walk. Enoch, you realize, was a prophet. In other words, Enoch preached judgment to those that were going against God. Now, I don't know about you and how you would accept a prophet or not that's saying, hey, you're doing wrong. But not a lot of people love prophets. You know, it wasn't like, hey, guys, you know, you're all doing a great job. I'm really proud of you. It was, hey, you guys are doing this wrong. You think about Jonah when he preached in Nineveh. There wasn't a whole lot of good things Jonah was saying to those in Nineveh. And so Enoch had plenty of chances when God said, hey, I need you to go and deliver this message. We could have said, I don't think they're going to receive that very well. I'm going to go the other way. And some of us, if we're not careful... We hear God speak. We hear God move in our hearts. We hear the Holy Spirit and feel the Holy Spirit convict us. And we say, yeah, I know what you want me to do, but I'm going to go ahead and go the other way. And so we see the anti-God walk. And Enoch, as a human being, you realize that he wasn't anybody that was perfect. He wasn't anybody different from you and I. He he had desires of, of himself. Enoch had to choose to walk with God in harmony with God, in the same direction with God. And so there's the anti-God walk, but then there's what I like to call the know-it-all walk. You come on back here, Timothy. And so I'm going to say, Timothy, we're going to go this way this time, all right? I've got a plan for you. I've got a will for you. We're going to walk this way, all right? So let's go. This is the know-it-all walk. Now, some of you, if you have kids in this room, you've seen this walk, all right? This is the, yeah, God, I know you've got a plan, but I've got something better figured out. Hey, I'll take care of this myself. This is the, I'm taking my kids into the candy store, and we need to get a shopping cart, and the kid says, no, I need to get the Tootsie Rolls before you get to them and stop me. 
The know-it-all walk, how many of us, myself included, have walked that walk before? God, I know what your word says, and I even want to follow you, but I've got a better idea. You remember I said, in this day and age, sometimes we think, you know, the book of Genesis, well, this is where, where cavemen were, and they, you know, they were amazed because they could start fire. These were extremely intelligent people, and many of them had the full temptation. Enoch, as an intelligent man, could have said, God, I know you've got this plan, and we can get that accomplished, but let me show you how it's done. God, I know I've got this situation, and I know, I know you know best, but I know just a little bit better than best. And how many times in our Christian lives does God give us instruction once again, and we say, God, that's a great idea, but how about a better one? And we walk the I know better walk. And then there's one other walk that I think, if we're not careful, we're tempted to do as children of God, and this is what I call the scaredy cat walk, the scaredy cat walk. Now remember, I told you that Enoch was a, a prophet, and Enoch was commissioned to preach the word of God and to preach judgment to those around him, much in the way that we're called to preach the gospel to those around us, right? We're called to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others, that they can have eternal life in spite of their faults and failures, that God loves them even though they're not perfect. Every single one of us are called to do that. And Enoch is called to preach judgment just as we're called to preach the gospel, just as we're called to take steps of faith when we don't know what's going to happen next. You know, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and who shall direct your paths. Talked about how God's will so often is kind of like when we drive with headlights. Now, if some of you in here drive at night without headlights, you know, you're, you're the problem here. Um, <laughs> But when we drive with headlights, headlights see about maybe two, three hundred feet out in front of you, right? They don't see miles ahead unless you're that person with those terribly bright headlights. But you can only see a few hundred feet in front of you. And so how do you see past those 300 feet? You've got to move forward, right, to see that next step. Uh, just as Proverbs says, trust the Lord with all thine heart, lean on thine understanding. When we trust God with what he's given us so far, then he takes us to that next step. And if we're not careful as Christians, we take what is called the scaredy cat walk. Now, Timothy, once again, I've got a plan for you, and you just walk right beside me in harmony with me, and everything's going to be fine, okay? All right. Come on. Come on. It's the scaredy cat walk of God. Show me the future, and then I'll obey you. And once again, all of us struggle with this sometimes. Timothy, you're going to sit down, buddy. Thank you, bud. It's the, Dad, can you come down to the basement with me because I'm afraid of the dark? Now, listen, it's fine for a child to be afraid of the dark sometimes. They need to learn that, that, that they can be, you can be trusted and that you have what's in best in store for them. But as Christians, how many times do we, does God call us to do something and we say, God, show me how it's going to end and then I'll obey you? God, show me those positive results, how it's all going to work out, and then I'll obey you. It reminds me of books I used to read. Have you ever read one of those choose-your-own-ending books? Yeah, a couple of you. How many of you cheat and check the endings before you make your decision on those? Me, every single time. You know, I was like, oh, that wasn't a good decision. I'm going to go to the other page. But in our Christian walk, we're called to walk with God in harmony. 
has that idea, have you ever seen uh, an army marching in perfect step with each other? That's what Enoch did. God said, walk with me. And he said, all right, I'm right by you the entire time. It wasn't a, God, you go down there, tell me how it looks, and then I'll come see you. It, it wasn't a, God, I'll tell you how it looks, and then you can come catch up with me. It, it wasn't a, God, I don't want to do that at all. It's not very comfortable. Enoch said, God, where you lead me, what you call me to do, I'm going to walk with you every single step of the way. Was it easy? No. We read Enoch walk with God, and you're like, man, you know, it must have been easy for him. Like, he was just some super saint. No, he was a human being like every single one of us. And he chose to walk with God. Can two walk together except they be agreed? And the answer is no. And so how did Enoch walk with God? Was it God that agreed with Enoch? All right, Enoch, you're pretty smart. I mean, you've come up with some amazing things. You're a pretty intelligent guy. You, know, you seem to you know, help out people. You're doing a good job with this preaching thing. You tell me what's best, and then I'll agree with you and go with you. Not at all. Enoch set aside his own desires. He set aside his own concerns. He set aside his own worries and fears. And he said, God, wherever you walk, wherever you go, I'm going to stay step and step with you. And such a beautiful picture here of Enoch. We do not know much about him, but we know that when God called him to do something, he didn't ask questions. He didn't get scared. Maybe he did. And yet he still chose to walk with God. God was a pleasure to Enoch, and Enoch was a pleasure to God. Sometimes does God feel like a, a duty to you? As we get up on Sunday morning, it feels like some kind of like a duty. Oh, I got to spend time in prayer today because God wants me to and I don't want to disappoint him. God was a pleasure to Enoch and Enoch was a pleasure to God. During his walk with God, Enoch loved and feared God and kept his commandments. God became the subject of his meditation day in and day out, night in and night out. Enoch didn't attempt to walk alone to heaven. He walked with God. He needed God. He recognized God as being his sustainer and his righteousness. And this holy walk, understand this, was continued for 300 years. I think, you know, you ever heard someone use the phrase, I've seen it all? I mean, these people back in this day had really seen it all. I mean, you know, I'm amazed at folks and how long they live nowadays, but hundreds of years there's, in town, there's a park called Oak Hill Park. Maybe some of you, they have some walking paths down there. And every once in a while, um, if I'm watching the kids, I'll take them down there to hopefully wear them out, but they wear me out instead. Um, and I'll take them down. They have a nice walking path. It's just under two miles. And we'll get going on this walking path, and they enjoy it at first. But by the time we get to about a quarter mile left, it seems more like a death march, you know? You get the I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, it's too hot, it's too cold, it's too sunny. I mean, just, you know, if there's any two, they know what it is. You know, and it's just, you know, almost to the point I'm counting down feet, like, all right, 999 feet left to go, 998 feet left to go, and they're just dreading that ending there. If I were told, or if you were told, that you had three months left to live. I'd like to think at least that I would do everything in my strength and ability, really God's of course, but to walk with him on a daily basis. There's this little short amount of time left, and so I really need to make it count. 
You know, I, you know, God, I'm going to get up and I'm going to read my Bible every single day. God, I, I'm going to spend time talking to you, not just talking to you, but listening to you every single day. You know, if we had some type of countdown, we're like, hey, these are the days you had left. There's, there's this light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. I'm going to, I'm going to finish strong, right? You, know, you talk about in a race, finishing strong. But how many of us would say our walk with the Lord is the same way? If I were told I had three months left to live, that would be the case. But we hear, see here Enoch, for 300 years, walked with the Lord. Sometimes we start off the race excited. You know, maybe when we get saved, you know, we want to tell everybody about it. We want to read our Bible. We want to spend time praying. We want to hear every sermon we can. But eventually, if we're honest, sometimes it becomes like that death march. It becomes another day. I'm going to try my best, but I don't know if I can do it. And we get worn down over time. And that's the way, if we're not careful, our, our walk with Christ and walk with the Lord becomes. Enoch did it for 300 years, day in and day out. Once again, was he perfect? No. But he had a steadfast commitment. His testimony towards God was amazing. Then we see his testimony towards man. Turn over to Jude real quick. See how good you are at your book-finding skills here. Jude, I'll say chapter 1, but if you get to chapter 2, you've got the wrong Bible. Jude chapter 1, look with me at verse number 14. As I mentioned, there's not a lot mentioned about Enoch in Scripture. You see some genealogies here, but here we see something talked about here in Enoch. For Jude chapter 1, verse number 14, it says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, so seven generations passed from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his, ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So come back to that surrounding gloom again. So we see this word ungodly a lot here. Enoch's character and conduct were a a distinct rebuke to the godlessness around him. The testimony that Enoch had spoke volumes. We talked about the verse where it talks about Abel last week, he being dead yet liveth. The testimony that Enoch had, it was an instant rebuke towards those that were living in a godless society. To see him faithfully serve God, convicted, and challenged people all around him. Jude tells us that Enoch served as a prophet, declaring God's just judgment upon the unrighteous of his time. Enoch's message was one of condemnation of sin, uh, the judgment of those in it, and even the triumph of the holy ones over it. It was a message of damnation for the wicked, yet grace for the righteous. And we see that Enoch preached without fear. He made known to all the people, what God had revealed to him. When God gave him a message, he let it be known. The visions that he had concerning the future and the destinies of people were too great to be held within. In other words, the things that he knew were too great to where he could not help but share it. No one was going to stop him from proclaiming the truth. In our society today, a lot keeps us from proclaiming the truth, doesn't it? Technicalities. Make sure we got to include everything. We don't want to offend anybody. 
And we see here Enoch faithfully preaching the truth. He didn't become a hermit and shut himself from the world. He had a work to do for God in the world. And so the relationship Enoch had with God also suggests that he was a humble man. When we think of humble in Scripture, we think of Moses, right? He was described as the most humble man. This would have been characterized, I think, by the grace he showed to those around him. But Enoch was a humble man. He was most surely mocked by man around him. In a godless society, as he shared the good news, as he shared proclamation and he shared judgment, many mocked him at that time, but the power of God's message was felt by those who heard it. Some gave heed to the warning and renounced their sins, but the multitudes mocked the message and went on more boldly in their evil ways. He was a humble man, but he was a godly man. His walk with God was not in a trance. You know, Enoch was not a robot by any sorts. But in his daily life, he walked with God. In his daily life with his family, with other men, as a husband, as a father, as a friend, he was steadfast and unwavering as a servant of the Lord. And then we get to the most distinction between Enoch and anybody else of his time was his sudden glory. It says that Enoch was translated. And when we go back to Genesis chapter 5, we see Adam lived 930 years, and then he died. Seth lived 912 years, and then he died. Kenan lived 910 years, then he died. Mahalalel lived, and then he died. Jared lived, then he died. And it says Enoch lived... Then he was no more because God took him away. What a special testimony. One of only two people to have never tasted death. Something surely had to be special about him. And it was his personal walk and commitment to his walk with God. In spite of all around him. Like Enoch, as I mentioned, we too are in a similar society of surrounding gloom. I don't mean to be doom and gloom. But we see a world around us that does not have a passion for serving God, that does not even con concerned with God, does not even admit that there is a God unless they're saying that they are God. We see the same type of society that Enoch dealt with. And with all of that going around, his testimony was outstanding. With all that we have going around in our world, my question is, how is your testimony? How is it? towards God. The Bible says that we're born into sin. It makes us at war with God. We don't like to think that. But when we're born, he, he opposes us as sinners. We're, so to speak, enemies, not of his choice, but of ours. And we can thank God for his grace that he shows to us, but are we sharing it with others? How is your testimony towards God? How is your walk with God? We talked about those different walks with God. Which walk is it that you're usually taking? Is it the step-in-step -step walk or we're being honest, is it the scaredy-cat walk? Or is it the I-know-better walk? We all have a walk with God, and we choose what walk that is. Listen, your, your husband, your wife, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your friend cannot decide what walk you are going to have. That is a choice you have to make. And Enoch chose to walk in harmony with him. He chose to walk step and step with him. Your testimony towards God with your intimacy with him. Are you sharing your deepest fears and concerns with God? Now here's what's amazing to me. Does God know everything about you? Absolutely. 
Does God know your concerns? Does God know your fears? Does God know your worries? Yes, he knows everything about you. He even knows the hairs on your head. Such an unimportant detail when you don't have that much hair. He knows everything about us, but he wants us to share it. We don't share it for him to learn. We share it for us to connect closer. Just had a chance two weeks ago to talk to a gentleman that wanted to know more about accepting Christ. And so I talked with him for a while, and he kept coming back to, he wanted to know how to have a, a closer relationship with God. Um, and that is a, a great goal to have. And, you know, just recognizing the importance of that, and I was trying to explain to him, you know, the most important step, of course, is accepting Christ as your Savior. You can't have that relationship with God until you make that decision first. But all of us decide what kind of relationship we have. God does not change. If you feel like you're far from God, it's not because he's walked away. It's because you have. You turn around, and he's still in that exact same spot, ready to come back to you. And all of us are blessed with the opportunity to have a relationship with the creator of the universe, with the creator of you. And we so often take advantage of that or take it for granted and say, well, you know, whenever I come back to it, when I'm not busy, I'll come back. And we have a chance to have intimacy with God. God should be a pleasure to us. and We should be a pleasure to him. Like Enoch in Ephesians 4.17 says this, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Rather than losing and giving in to sensuality, losing sensitivity, we should be made new in the attitudes of our minds. We're talking about this morning in, in our discipleship group. The Word of God gives us perspective. The Word of God helps us align our mind with His mind to know what He cares about and is concerned about and, and wants to do. Obedience and meditation to God. The paradox of Romans 12 talks about a living sacrifice. You know what the problem with a living sacrifice is? It keeps wanting to get off the fire. You take any animal and try to sacrifice it as it's alive, it's going to run away from that what's causing pain, right? How true is that of us as Christians? God says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. I want you to sacrifice this. I want you to make this decision. And we say, okay, God, I'm going to do that. And we get up there and we start doing that. And it hurts. And it's not easy. And it's stressful. So we say, I'm backing off. This isn't fun anymore at all. We're called to be a living sacrifice. Obedience to God. He walked with God. He had faith in God. My testimony is, how is your testimony? My question is, how is your testimony towards God? What is your relationship like with him? What is your walk like with him? Is it a side-by-side? Is it a scary-cat walk? Is it, is it an I-know-better walk? Is it an anti-God walk of, hey, you're telling me to do this, but I think I'd rather do this because it seems easier. How is your testimony toward man? You know, this also is a testimony that pleases God. When our testimony with God is right, our testimony with man can be as well. Enoch prophesied to man, and he was fearless about man. We're to be the salt of the world wherever we go. And being bold and always prepared to speak on God's behalf at the appropriate moment. We're to condemn sin and yet at the same time declare grace. We're to be a salt and light to this world. And our testimony before men should be impeccable. That doesn't mean that accusations won't get thrown at you, but that when they are, nothing sticks. Testimony is a beautiful thing that takes time to build, right? 
and yet so quickly can be destroyed. Enoch, in his hundreds of years that he lived, gave this testimony that he pleased God. He was mocked by man, and like it or not, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. We don't face near the persecution that some Christians do, but we still face some persecution, and that is the way that the world operates. And so we have to be willing to face it. Like Enoch, we live on the verge of sudden glory, though. I'm not saying we are going to be translated, but the Word of God says that the rapture is coming. It does not say when it is. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. It says it could be as soon as today. None of us know how much time we have left here on earth. Enoch didn't know how much longer he had to live. You know, those 300 years at the beginning, he didn't think, hey, maybe today is the day. Or maybe he did think today was the day. He didn't know how much time he had left to live, but he chose to live every single day as if it was the last. And Enoch, by faith, we see here in the book of Hebrews, is a testimony towards others because in a world of sinfulness, in a world that was concerned with its own desires, he chose to have simple goodness. We don't see a lot that's spoken about him. You know, we read about Paul, we see how many churches he built and so many souls that he won to Christ and all these shipwrecks and being stoned to death and being thrown out of cities and all these things that happened in Paul's life. We don't know much about Enoch. But to be put in Hebrews chapter 11 meant he surely had an impact upon his generation and even generations following. Enoch was an exceptional person, a person who lived an outstanding godly life, one who showed all people that man could cheat the curse of death, so to speak, because God was more powerful than that. And he was a man of faith and righteousness. And as we look at the life of Enoch, my question is this. Where can we change? Where can I change? As we read the book of Hebrews, and it says there in verse 5, by faith Enoch was translated. It wasn't by intelligence. It wasn't by good looks. It wasn't by amount of people that liked him. What he was translated by was faith. Who he was changed by was God. And his testimony towards God and towards man was impeccable. And by simply walking with God, he made a change and a difference in this world. One man named Enoch had a testimony of this. He walked with God and he pleased God. And my question to you this morning is this. Are you walking with God the way that he desires you to? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord.